It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor for Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now while fighting a yellow jacket, it seems, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. Hello, everybody. Hey, Al. How are you holding up over there? I'm good. You know, that's the uh, the fun of, of working from home and trying to find a quiet place. Sometimes you go to a park to record a podcast and got all kinds of... Uh, hazards to deal with but other than that i'm great 2020 man and uh also with us right now we have our executive editor nathan makaborski what's going on nate hey guys i'm uh calling you from my basement here in bloomfield new jersey so far so good no hazards to speak of but uh the podcast is still young so i'll keep you posted (laughs) let's not tempt fate here if you don't mind no (laughs) so gentlemen obviously uh it's a couple of days now we've had to sit on the feelings of this past Friday night and watching the season kind of just reach its end. And I think it will certainly go down as one of the weirdest few months of our lives as baseball fans and baseball writers and members of a baseball team, certainly. And also, I mean, again, it's just every time it happens, they, they all feel similarly disappointing, no matter how weird the campaign was. I agree. I mean, there's there's never a postseason that ends unless you've won the World Series that doesn't have that same, you know, feeling of disappointment and, you know, wishing that your your team had had won because, you know, especially with the Yankees, you go into every year and every postseason thinking you have a really good chance. So what those expectations inevitably do when you don't win is make it all that more all that much more disappointing. And also, I mean, for me being there in 2009, although you know, people now talk about that in the in the breath of like, boy, it's been so long. It's been so long. It also makes me and, and Nate, you probably say the same thing, feel grateful for having been there to, to see that because it makes you all these other years make you realize just how hard it is to get over that hump. Yeah, I mean, you know, one title in the last 20 years, that's half a lifetime. Uh, and that came on the heels of a, of a whole lot of success before then. Um, I'm with you. It's really, you know, I was... I was really kind of crestfallen after that game ended. I mean, it was a phenomenal game. It made me think, like, I feel bad for people who are not baseball fans because they miss out on nights like that that are just a fantastic baseball game, I thought. And, yeah, it was really, you know, I keep waiting for uh, some day to come where, when I uh, don't care, or, but that's, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Uh, I, there's certain years that just stick out in my mind uh, where the Yankee season ends uh, without a championship. I remember for some reason, like 2002 was a really hard one when we lost to the angels. You know, there's years that I just 2017, you know, that, that team was so fun. Uh, And when it comes to a a crashing halt, it's like, Oh, it's just a, it's a kick to the gut and it's, it's never easy. It's never fun. Uh, But you take it with you, you, you add it to your, you know, your bank of experience, and it makes you that much more hungry uh, for next year. I think those are great points. I think that it doesn't matter kind of anything that happened leading up to this from a baseball perspective. And, you know, this not not the first time I'm going to say this, certainly not the last, you know, a baseball team going down is not the ultimate tragedy of the year 2020. That's for sure. But Nate, you, you really hit it. it. It just ends. And it's so hard to get back. And, and I think Yankees fans, as much as maybe in the late 90s and even to some degree early 2000s, took for granted a little bit how special it was to win a World Series championship. I think also maybe fans sometimes take for granted still how hard it is to get to the point where 
the Yankees just, you know, ended their season and where they ended the season the year before and the year before and the year before. And I'm not making excuses. I'm not asking anyone to cry for the Yankees here. It's just no no one wants to hear the story of the Yankees' accomplishments this season, but it it, it's, it just does, frankly, hurt more when you taste it every year. It does. I think the other thing that kind of adds to the to the disappointment or, or maybe to the to the finality of it is just how close this team came the last three years. Um, you know, you, you obviously look at 2017, you know, they're literally a couple pitches away from going to the World Series, not a, not more than a game away. They were within, you know, a game of, of getting there. And then 2018, you know, they, they weren't in the ALCS, but, you know, that series with the Red Sox could have easily gone either way. I mean, a couple feet, you know, on a, on a Gary Sanchez fly ball, we're talking about a Gary Sanchez home run, which could, you know, lead to more. And, and the same thing, 2019, and the same thing this year. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a story we've, we've now read four times in a row of just how close they've, they've come. With obviously the disappointment of sitting here and not being part of the American League Championship Series, I also want to make sure we keep in perspective that, you know, how close we are. We just, again, we lost game five in a game we're tied in the eighth inning to a team that's three nothing right now in the ALCS and probably on their way to the World Series. So as much as we constantly are going to try to improve here and 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 there's going to be tweaks to the roster as a result of that, you know, I, I think it's also important to note just, you know, how still close we are, you know, to being the last team standing, to being capable of being that last team standing. They're not a team that's missing the playoffs. They're not a team that's losing the wild card. You know, I look back at those teams, you know, before things were kind of revamped and look at 2013 uh, where, where the team didn't make the playoffs. 2014 didn't make the playoffs. 2015 barely got in, lost that wild card game to the Houston Astros. Like, you know, that hurts in the sense of like, you know, we, we need to get a lot better. This hurts in the sense of what could have been and what could have been is a championship. It's really hard every year. I would say this is different from last year, is different from the year before in, in different ways. But when you love what you're doing and love the people that you're doing it with, and you know you have a team that's one of the handful of teams that really is close to being a championship team, ultimately when you go home, that hurts a lot and, and it's hard to get through and get over. You do, and we will. Um, because we still have too much great opportunity in front of us, but it's difficult. So obviously, we, we do have plenty to talk about about this past series. We are recording this right on the heels of Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman giving their postmortems on the season. So we have plenty to talk about about the things we just heard from them, and, and we'll also talk about you know things about how the off season is shaping up in some ways. Some questions that. We're going to have to wait a little while to see answered, and that's just kind of the nature of it. But in a second segment, I hope you'll stick with us. I know it's been a few days already, but it, we'd be remiss if we didn't spend a little time talking about Whitey. So, so we'll get to all of that here. But you know, be, be, before we do, I just I'm kind of wondering from both of you guys, like, have you been watching? Have you? There, there have been some pretty interesting games these past few nights, uh, both in terms of Tampa rolling through the Astros, and obviously what we've been seeing really compelling stuff over on the NL side. Are, are you guys ready to keep watching yet, or, or are you not at that point yet? I'll be honest. I mean, when we're still alive, I, like, can't get enough baseball, and I try and soak up every inning that's played. Uh, once we get bounced, it's usually hard for me to, like, turn on the TV and watch the teams who are fortunate enough to still be alive. So I followed along a little bit. Um, I have not watched it as closely as I did, was watching last week. But you're right. I mean – some spectacular defense by the Rays. And, uh, you know, of course, I think a lot of people feel the way I do and that, like, if you do get bounced out of the playoffs, you want to kind of see the team that bounced you go on to win it all just so you can say, well, you know, we lost to the best team. So kind of where I'm at. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I'll add to it. You know, you, yeah, you do want to see, you know, that team that, that you lost to, you know, get to the World Series or win the World Series because it, it kind of validates the thought of, of how, close we really were and that's happened in the last couple of years it's, it's happened several times and i think i think we should point out also cashman was not shy just now about saying what, what we all really saw which is that 
the Yankees didn't get, you know, beaten by some ragtag group of jokers or anything like that. The Yankees got beat by the team that was the best team in the American League this year and that is showing that they're the best in the American League and, and, and that they deserve everything they did and that they frankly are the class of the American League right now. Ultimately, we ran up against the team that was better. Uh, Tampa Bay uh, proved out during the regular season that they uh, they earned the right to be American League Eastern Division champions. We had a chance to change that narrative potentially in a, in a short season postseason appearance, and it didn't work out that way either. So they proved in the marathon of 60 games that they were better, and then they proved in the sprint of, uh, of the division series uh, that they were better. Uh, I think we had a championship caliber uh, team, but uh, that's the level of, I guess, praise I can put on it for us all is that we obviously earned a postseason right and, and got past Cleveland and, and ran into a five-game set that uh, took us out. And uh, I just feel like in the end, of the, and with, you know, the, the, when the dust settles, they're a better franchise right now than we are. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with all that. And the only thing I'd add to it is you especially want to see that team succeed when they're playing the Houston Astros. So, uh, Point you know, well taken. not – not not interested in seeing them get back to the World Series. Uh, and I, I think probably a, a point that's shared uh, with everyone who's not an Astros fan from Houston. <laughs> I think it's been compelling, certainly, to to watch the way that the that series has gone. And again, frankly, by the time you're listening to this, if it's over, I apologize. But I, th- I thought there was some really telling stuff that we heard from, from Boone today because – Part of this might be the fact that George has been gone for for 10 years now, and maybe we talk about things in the Bronx a little bit differently than we did before that. But I thought there was a very real sense from both Boone and Cashman. Again, not to say they're making excuses and not to say that they're not devastated. I think the devastation was very clear on their mouths, but a knowledge that you can only do so much sometimes. And sometimes, you know, you you can will it, you you can want it. All, all, all you can want it more than anything in the world, but a lot of times it's really just about getting yourselves in the position to succeed and then letting some of the randomness of baseball take over. My head's not going to lay low if you get beat by a team that's that's worthy, and Tampa Bay was worthy. They they had they have a tremendous starting rotation, they have a tremendous bullpen, they have a Swiss Army knife offense that they designed uh, in a way that they can match up with anybody, and so their you know defense is really good. Do I want us to be the best version of ourselves? The answer is yes. Am I proud of being in a position to compete for a championship? The answer is yes. Am I massively disappointed and sorry that we're unable to finish the job? Uh, the answer to that is yes. But I respect you know, a great baseball team, and they're proving to be a great baseball team. You know, we'll see where the future takes us. I mean, again, we're back to the drawing board. I don't think it's just, just as simple as uh, trying to you know, explain away why our payroll is where it is and why their payroll is where that is. It's just when you're competing on the field, regular season and postseason in season, it's they, your payroll is not going to win it for you. You're the talent that you have in front of you at the time and, and how they happen to perform on any given day is what's going to be the difference maker. Yeah, I, I think that Brian Cashman's done as good a job as, as you can do. Obviously, he doesn't have the results to show for it, but, you know, baseball, unfortunately, isn't one on paper. Uh, we talked about this the other day. You know, if it, if it was, you know, the Yankees would be in the World Series and they probably would have been on, on, on other occasions. You know, they had an opportunity to get the most important piece of the puzzle that they could have gotten. They went out and got him. And of course, I'm talking about Garrett Cole. They got him and he pitched brilliantly. I mean, in, in game one and in game five. And, you know, I, I'm a little tired of belaboring, you know, the, the injury situation because, it does, John, sometimes get to the point where it, you know, it sounds like you're looking for pity for the New York Yankees, and, and that's never going to happen, and, and we sound silly you know, if, if that's what it sounds like our intentions are. But things came into play, and it didn't work out. To me, it, it doesn't, it doesn't um, dull at all the enthusiasm or the optimism or our chances for next year, for sure. Yeah, I thought uh, Brian Cashman had a, a good uh, metaphor for the playoffs and that it's, you know, it's like a prize fight. It's, it's two, you know, the, the two teams, in this case, the Yankees and the Rays, uh, you know, somebody had to lose and, and whoever it was, uh, it doesn't mean they're bad. It's just, and it's, and it's going to hurt. Try to put yourself in a position to compete in October and then take your shot. And it's a prize fight, uh, to be quite honest. Every series is a prize fight that you happen to, advanced to and 
And the truth of the matter is, you know, you're going to have someone who's going to be standing at the end of that fight. We went five games with the Tampa Bay Rays and, you know, the loser gets knocked out and, you know, all the blood and the, uh, and that comes with that knockout comes our way, which is also criticism for not being good enough. Um, and so, you know, I know that comes with the territory of playing meaningful games in October, our fans, our ownership, our front office, our players, our staff, we all care about the, the end result. Uh, that's why we're in this arena competing for it. So uh, now, obviously, when you lose, you get dissected. Um, and that's also part of this process. And I get that. I've been around long enough to deal with it and understand it. And, and uh, you know, it's as simple as that. You know, that was kind of what we saw. I was sort of surprised at the way uh, the Yankees, you know, game two strategy was so widely panned uh, to me. I mean, the way they explained it and everything, it, it made sense to me. It just, you know... Didn't work out. The J-Hap gave up a couple of two-strike home runs or whatever, and that was kind of the difference in that game. And, um, you know, then you had yourself set up to roll Tanaka out there in game three, a normally very dependable starter in the postseason, and it didn't go his way that night. So, um, you know, it was a very close uh, close contest. And uh, I, I agree, Al. You know, there's I, I'm going to go into next – uh, opening day or next spring training, just as optimistic as ever. I think the frustrating thing for me, and and this is after the fact, I, I think that watching that game two thing happen, I never felt at the time like the Yankees were putting them in themselves in a better position to win the series by doing that. I thought there was a chance that maybe they were putting themselves in a better position in game two in some ways, if you looked at the numbers right. But I thought there was a little bit too much cute stuff going on that could hurt them later in the series. And I think my concern as it happened and my concern was proven true is I don't think you maximized David Garcia in that moment. And as you see when the series ends, and this is no knock on Jonathan Loisaga when I say this, he shouldn't be pitching more innings for you than David Garcia in a series like this. And I think that that, that, that to me was the casualty of watching that happen. Now, with that said, like you said, Nate, they presented their case for it. They presented the numbers for it and everything like that. And it didn't work. And, and, and that's going to happen sometimes. I, I respect a team that is trying to say, how can we maximize our advantages in any given moment? And mm-hmm. Cashman was extremely upfront about saying that for all the talk about how good a job he did putting this team together, that situation played out the way it did because they didn't have enough starting pitching. There's a lot of reasons. Brian Cashman wasn't involved with Domingo Herman getting himself suspended. He certainly wasn't involved with Luis Severino getting hurt or James Paxton getting hurt. But obviously, Cashman wasn't absolving himself of the situation that led to that. One point that I do want to add add there, though, is I thought that overall in the series, and certainly I, I would add also against the Indians, I was particularly impressed with the way that Boone handled everything, except for, I would say, my questioning of that moment. And frankly, there was no suspense today because Hal Steinbrenner came out yesterday and said that Boone was going to be back. But I thought that um, Cashman went further than simply saying that Boone would be back. He, he really did a good job of explaining exactly why he feels that Boone has been so successful over this past three years now. Well, I think he's honored uh, who he is every step of the way. I think he's a real approachable person uh, that connects well with his players, connects well with uh, his coworkers, whether it's his coaching staff, his support staff, uh, his front office, you know, our fans. What I've learned from him is he's a very patient a very uh, approachable, very open-minded individual, extremely intelligent that is willing to put the work in to try to decipher the the right next move and the best position to be sitting in and, and then live with the results, you know, for better or for worse. So, you know, all I continue to see from Aaron Boone, the person is, is everything that I thought I felt from that interview process, as well as our entire team was, he's, you know, made that real. I think it's hard to argue, you know, the type of job that, you know, that Aaron Boone has done, you know, like he's, you know, uh, a guy that, that did not come in with any prior experience managing or coaching or anything like that. But, you know, he brought the team in three straight years really to the, to the doorstep. And obviously the, the cliche of wanting to knock down that door is, is something that's been spoken about this week and in particular today, but they're there, you know, they're, they're right there. And I, and I even think back, John, on, on what you were talking about in terms of, you know, 
the different strategic moves that the, the organization made with Davey Garcia and Jay Happ and them not working out and all that stuff, you know, and I, I take it a step further. Like it, despite, you know, whatever they did right or whatever they did wrong, they went into game five with their ace on the mound and not just any ace, but, you know, arguably the best pitcher or, or one of the single best pitchers in baseball on the mound. He went out and pitched a great game and they, and they lost. So, you know, it's, it is hard to, to point fingers. And, and obviously this is coming from someone who works for the organization, but it's, you know, it's hard to point fingers, especially when, you know, the Brian Cashman's of the world and the Aaron Boone's are so, you know, accountable and, 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 um, you know, forthright about why they did the things they did and, and willing to, you know, to kind of take it on the chin uh, for whatever, mis- whatever decisions worked out or, or didn't work out. And I'll take that one step further. And Nate, I really want to hear your take on this because now you and I actually already had this conversation with Bucky Dent on the most recent mm-hmm. Deep Left with Bucky Dent. But I really enjoyed Cashman's answer to the question, which has come up a lot over these past few days about lineup balance and about the need for more left-handed batters in the lineup. And I, and I think that he really nailed his answer, which is to say, of course, yeah, the team could use more left-handed batters, but the point he was essentially making, and I'm going to summarize it because Cashman has a way of giving a one-minute answer in like 14 minutes sometimes, <laughs> the, fa- the fact is, who do you take out of that lineup to replace him with a left-handed bat right now? Sure, if right. there's a left-handed you know, catcher you want to go after, or switching catcher you want to go after, great, but you know... When this team was being put together, certainly you weren't thinking about that, about replacing Sanchez with something like that. And then it just goes down the list. You know, you want to talk about versatility. You want to talk about all the different ways this team was built. Well, DJ LeMahieu was supposed to be a utility, not a utility, but a versatile piece. It just turned out, though, that because Luke Voigt became so great as a right-handed hitter, that meant that DJ LeMahieu was mostly going to be at second base. And then let's look at the outfield. Then you have, you have a switch hitter in Aaron Hicks, who was supposed to miss a lot of the season but didn't. Well, Okay, Aaron Judge is a right-handed hitter. You're not going to take him out of the lineup for a lefty bat. You were able to get Brett Gardner in probably more than he should have been in, considering how well Clint Frazier was playing throughout the year, but that was to get a left-handed bat in there. But at DH, it's not like you can get cute there, because when he's healthy, you're sticking Giancarlo Stan in the DH slot every time. So again, it's not to suggest that Cashman did a perfect job or anything like that, or that the team couldn't use a left-handed bat. I think there's just a reality of looking at the way this team was built and some of the happy accidents of how this team was built that necessitated it to be a very heavy right-handed lineup. That Yeah, anyone would like a left-handed bat there, but who do you take out of the lineup right now to get a left-handed bat in there? That was the issue, I think. Yeah, the left-handed bat has to be better than the right-handed bat in in each position. Right, they've, you know, spent years building this team by acquiring, you know, the best talent available in a lot of instances. So, you know, I think he made the point that uh, just because you have a lot of righty bats in your lineup, you don't pass on an Aaron judge when he falls to you in the draft. And so, you know, there's moments like that, that uh, lead to your roster being constructed the way it is. But um, you know, and I heard Bucky's point that, you know, Yankee Stadium with its short right porch uh, out and right, you should have a, a bunch of lefty boppers there. But, I mean, the size and the power of these right-handed guys we have, I mean, I feel like they're just as capable of putting a ball over that wall as, as any lefty batters in the league. So I, I think the, you know, the unbalanced lineup thing is a little overrated, in my opinion. Um, you've heard Boone say time and time again, we expect our, our righty batters to hit righty pitching. So a lot of the times they do. Like you said, Al, you're not going to take, uh, you know, a Giancarlo Stanton out of the lineup for a, a lesser lefty hitter just because he hits from the opposite side. And if you were talking about marginal hitters, it'd be one thing. But you're not talking about, in most cases, the difference between Brett Gardner and Clint Frazier this year. I mean, that is where they were finding platoon spaces. What you're talking about is a, a guy who we should talk about a little bit more right now, DJ LeMahieu. Of course he's going to be in your lineup. He won the batting title. He's probably been among the most valuable players in baseball over the past two years. Again, in an ideal situation, he's able to move all around the field to give different guys some spells and to get some more lefty bats in there, I guess. But probably shouldn't say this on the Yankees Magazine podcast, but like, is the team better off with Tyler Wade getting more starts simply because he hits from the left-hand side? No, it's not. <laughs> That's just not a reality that this team can face right now. And if there is that massive power switch hitter or lefty bat the Yankees can get this year without hurting the team, then of course it's a thing worth pursuing. But 
I, I just don't think that it was a real conversation that was being had by a lot of people when you factor in the nature of the way this team was built. I'll say this. We're, we're, you know, we're three, uh, three guys here who grew up in the eighties and watched the Yankees play in the eighties and everybody on that, on those teams, you know, which were marginal compared to the Yankees teams of, of this era, when there was a left-handed pitcher, it was a really, really heavy right-handed lineup and then vice versa. And that was because <laughs> the ma- majority of that roster were interchangeable type of platoon players, except for Don Mattingly. And then a little bit later, Wade Boggs, and then they started to get good again. So if you look at it that way, <laughs> you know, we're fortunate that, you know, those moves can't be made because the guys who were in the lineup are literally head and shoulders above the, the platoon players or the reserve players. And that's why this team is so good. That's why they won 100 games last year and, and uh, you know, have come as close as, as they have. I think that's dead on. So looking ahead then, if if we can for a little bit, obviously to what what these next few weeks and months hold. And I mean, look, obviously it was just a year ago that we were playing the waiting game and every single day wondering if it was going to be the day we heard about Garrett Cole. And I think we were, I know I was at least optimistic that the Yankees were going to put together the best offer to get him and it ended up happening. I think this year things are a lot less certain, both in terms of the state of the world, but also the state of the market. And I think, though, one thing or two things rather that we can discuss right now, two big parts are DJ LeMahieu and Masahiro Tanaka. Obviously, Aaron Boone was extremely clear today about you know how he feels about LeMahieu, and while he can't necessarily uh, play Cashman, do Cashman's job for him, he, he you know he he made a point of saying just what it means to be able to put DJ's name at the top of the lineup every day. You know, I think if you take a snapshot of the last two years you probably count on one hand how many players have been as good as DJ LeMahieu and how important they've been to their team. So, look, we'll see what happens moving forward. All I can tell you is he's been a pleasure to be able to manage and to watch him go out and prepare the way he does, perform the way he does, and in his way lead the way that he does. Um, He's a special player, a special person, and, uh, of course, we'd love to have him back. So obviously that that is a huge priority for the team. You know, I think that we do have to have the conversation though, and I'm curious about your guys' take on this. Do you res- do you try to re-sign DJ LeMahieu to be your everyday second baseman, or do you try to reconstruct the team in some way that you benefit more from his versatility? Well, I'm, you know, I'm glad I, you know, I'm in charge of publications and not, you know, constructing a, a roster because, like I said the other day, it's little bit easier of a job and and uh you know it's a little less pressure from you know uh kind of removing myself from you know my my role in the organization which obviously has nothing to do with with personnel nor does it for you guys but just as a fan and somebody who's certainly studied the team pretty thoroughly for for a long period of time you know it seems to me like any team is better with zj lemayhu than without him uh just you know piggybacking on on what you guys just already said i mean he's one of the most valuable players in baseball over the last two years not he's not player of the week or player of the month or anything like that but over a two-year span the only two years he's been uh playing for the yankees and been in the american league you know it's 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 hard to find any other players in this sport uh who were better uh, who impacted their team's success more, who were more valuable. So, you know, from that standpoint, yeah, I, I mean, it's you hope he's back. You hope he's a guy that is here for, you know, a, a long time or at least a couple more years to really, you know, etch his name, you know, into the Yankees, you know, lore and, and record books and to continue to give this chance, uh, this team, you know, the best possible chance to get to the World Series and, and to win a World Series. And, and on a personal note, and, and you guys have said the same thing, just watching him hit uh, every day is, is just exciting. It's, a, it's an absolute pleasure as a, as a pure baseball fan. I haven't enjoyed watching someone at the plate as much as I've enjoyed watching DJ LeMahieu over the last two years in a long time. Yeah, you know, from our standpoint as, you know, the editors of Yankees Magazine, I think it's you know, it's, it's always helpful when there's like changes during the off season. So we get new players in who we get to write about and, and learn about and, and interview for the first time. And, 
that's always good for, for a, from a publication standpoint, but uh, from a like baseball standpoint, I would be perfectly happy with, you know, returning the same infield next year that we had this year. Cause uh, you go around the horn, you know, or Shella, Glaber, DJ and Voight. Uh, that's a, that's a pretty good infield right there. If that's how it ends up being, come opening day 2021 uh i i would take that i yeah i look i mean that just kind of i don't want to keep repeating myself but i i generally do agree i think that there are some questions that came up this year which i think need to at least be considered about the job that glaber did on a day-to-day basis at shortstop and i think that you know both boone and cashman were confident that Obviously, he's still young and he's incredibly athletic and that there is uh, everyday shortstop in there. But kind of some of the same conversations we've had over the past few years about Gary Sanchez, and I don't want to compare the struggles that they've had necessarily, but at some point, you do have to figure out exactly where that balance is. And I, I, I think that's going to be a really big focus of the offseason. And I think, frankly, it's going to be under the spotlight a lot next year. I, I, I think you're right, though, Nate. I think that with my total lack of knowledge about how to build an organization, I don't think that anyone can complain too much if you see the same opening day infield that you saw in game five of this year in the ALDS. I think the second question we need to ask ourselves right now with our, you know, I don't think we got any more knowledgeable as general managers in the last minute and a half, but it is about Masahiro Tanaka. I think that he's the other really big, big name Yankee who, there's going to be a decision about this year. And obviously, as with all free agents, especially free agents in, in this era and after this year, you, you know, you wonder, God, how, how long have we been hearing about, you know, Tanaka's elbow and all these things? And do the Yankees almost feel like they got seven years when in year one, it looked like he might need Tommy John surgery, which he never did in some sort of miracle. He was able to avoid it from the way they were talking about in year one. You know, obviously now you start to have those questions again and, and you wonder. And, and, and I think that you also can't have this conversation without also thinking about some of the young arms that we did get the opportunity to see this year and some of the names that are on the market too and wonder, and not as any knock to Tanaka, but is the team, is, is that the best use of money right now? The only thing I can say is if they do decide to bring him back, I will be personally thrilled because to me um, – Masahiro Tanaka is one of the more fascinating people in baseball. Like, I just feel like he's like a treasure trove of compelling stories. You know, I've had the opportunity to interview him a couple of times and have written a couple features uh, on him in Yankees magazine. And I feel like there's even still so much more to say that I haven't had the chance to to do uh, to write about yet. So, you know, if he's back, I'll, I'll be very happy. He's just been a great player to cover a great person in the clubhouse, uh, somebody who's just just intense desire to win, I think is rubbed off certainly on other pitchers. Uh, so he certainly has brought a lot of intangibles besides being a great pitcher and being a really consistent pitcher for seven years, which, you know, I shook my head when you talked about how it's been seven years because it's, it's gone by really, really quickly. But yeah, after, you know, starting off really, really well and then having a more than a scare, but a you know, an injury that he had to deal with and, and chose a certain way to deal with it. He came back and he's been really consistent. And, you know, this year he didn't fare quite as well in the postseason as he would have liked or the organization would have, would have liked. But I think you also have to point to his overall record in the postseason. He's not just a guy who, you know, gets you double digit wins and, and has a great regular season, but he's a guy that's just money in the postseason and has done so well. And I don't care that I'm saying this on the heels of him not succeeding this year. It's the overall body of work and the overall body of postseason work to me that matters. And he's just been great. He's been clutch. And, and I think that's a, that's an important thing. One of the great things about my job is, you know, the relationships that you form getting to manage um, not only great athletes and special performers, but special people and competitors. And, and that's what Masa is. Um, he's obviously great at his craft. You know, he's the ultimate professional. I love watching him work. I love watching him prepare. I love watching him do press conferences. I love his sense of humor, who he is around our team. You know, the way he's just a part of the culture here. So again, 
I'm not going to speculate or get into anything. All I know is I've, I've had the great privilege of, of getting to, to manage and, and, and watch Massa be who he is as a player and a person. I think we could basically leave it there. I think I'll take, you know, I, I guess I control the play and stop button and record button. So I guess I'll take the last word on this topic just by saying, again, you don't look for moral victories at the end of the season. But I think there's something to be said for the fact that Al, Nate, the three of us, we watched this team very closely and we just went about a half hour talking about how we would essentially change nothing about this team moving forward. And you know, I don't mean that in a cheeky or jokey way. I think the fact of the matter is, first off, it's very hard to build a team, obviously, but also it shows you what the team that they have right now. And are there things around the margins that can be better? Yes. Does the team need more starting pitching depth? Yes, of course it does. But at the end of the day, you know, we just tried to sit here and look at the players they have going, the players they should have coming back and how they should reframe things. And the place we basically landed was like, run it back, boys. So yeah, I, I, I think there's a lesson there. I can't wait to get back to work and as, as I say a lot, we're trying to kick that door in, and that's we're trying to win a championship. We're trying to climb to the top of the mountain. We know we're close. We know we have a team capable of it, and that's, that's the motivation. I am willing to walk through fire to accomplish something great, even though only one team every year can do so. Aaron Boone used the word cruel. It's a cruel ending for those who don't you know, obviously get there uh, all the way to the final podium to be that last team standing. But, but I'm proud to be in the arena fighting to be that last team standing. And, and you know, now the job is to get back there again next year and take another shot. Uh, I hope to be in a position to ultimately say, you know, we are world champions again sooner than later. But my words won't make that happen. You know, ultimately, the collective efforts of all parties involved from from top to bottom, including through our players, that's going to be the end result. And, uh, you know, we'll just keep fighting. And that's all I can tell you. I mean, the commitment of trying to be a champion is always going to be there and we'll continue to try. And, and, uh, and I'm proud of that championship caliber intent and interest and effort, but I can't guarantee an outcome at the end of the day. We'll keep working at it. I promise you. Uh, that's our commitment to our fans. Am I sorry that we lost, uh, obviously and didn't provide, you know, new memories of championship glory for our fans as early as 2020. Of course I am. You know, that's something that, that uh, that we want for our fans more than anything, um, but uh, that quest continues. So why don't we take a quick break? Uh, we're going to come back and you know let's just try to lighten the mood a little bit by talking about uh, the passing of just an absolute Yankees legend. So stick with us. Hi, this is Yoshella. You are listening to the Yankees Magazine podcast. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Buckington. The Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Hey, folks! It's Bucky Dent. I'm proud to be part of a new podcast on Yankees Magazine Podcast Network called Deep to Left with Bucky Dent. Every other Tuesday, we'll bring you a new episode chatting about great moments from Yankee history with some of my best friends from a career in the game. We'll look at what's happening with the current team, share some memories, and no surprise, we'll even discuss a little homer I hit one credible day in Fenway Park. Download Deep to Left with Bucky Dent at yankees.com slash podcast or at the podcast app of your choice. Can't wait to speak with you soon. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. So we've just gotten done looking back a little bit, looking forward to, but I think now... I hope that we can go back a, a ways, both a decade ago and also certainly some 50 years ago. Look, the fact of the matter is the Yankees aren't going to be in the World Series this year, but you can't talk about the World Series without talking about Whitey Ford. And I think it's going to be even harder this year because of the fact that obviously this past week he passed away. And, you know, there was something very special about watching Game 5 of the ALDS with the players wearing the 16 patch and everything like that and just it's heartbreaking in a way that so much of the story of baseball losses has been this year. And Al, as I mentioned, you know, a decade ago, you got to spend some time with Whitey for 
what was an incredible story. And I'm just wondering how the news hit you as someone who had really been around him. Spending a day with Whitey Ford to do a story is, you know, not something a lot of people can say. And, uh, you know, I didn't really know him before that. I didn't know him you know, much after that, other than saying hello at old timers day and things like that. But, you know, that's, that's an amazing thing. Like that's a, an opportunity that, you know, I guess it's, it's cliche, but in my case, it's true. It comes once in a lifetime or it came once in a lifetime. And, and uh, so, you know, I was sad besides just who he was as a Yankee and as a great person, you know, I did have that memory of him. And, and yeah, I was very sad to see him go, uh, feel happy in a way that, you know, he, he lived, a long life and a great life. And, and that makes you happy. But, um, you know, the, the memories I have and the story I was able to put together is, is, is both seared in my mind and, and on the pages of Yankees magazine. And, um, I got for a day to see what, what everybody else got to see. And he was, I mean, an absolute treasure. You know, John, you, you mentioned the, the world series and, you know, doing what we do, writing about the Yankees for a living. Uh, you know, I, I've, you get the opportunity to, to dig into the history quite a bit. And, you know, some of the records and the stats uh, that have been compiled by Yankees are just incredible. And one that has always really, really stood out to me is Whitey Ford's scoreless inning streak in World Series play. Um, if you go back to 1960 and 61, Whitey Ford made four starts across those two World Series the Yankees outscored their opponents in those four games, 31 to nothing. Whitey threw three complete game shutouts, and another game he started, and the Yanks won 7 nothing. He came out in the sixth, I think. And, uh, you know, I know that 1960, there was a bit of a kind of a, an uproar because he didn't start game one. He had, he had started game one uh, for the Yankees in each of the previous, I think, four World Series that they were in. And, you know, they kind of gave Casey Stengel a hard time about uh, waiting till game three to start him. He only got two starts in that series. The Yanks lose game seven on the Mazeroski homer. Ralph Houck comes in as the manager next year, starts Whitey in game one, and they beat the Reds in five. So he only needed to make two starts in, in the 61 World Series. But um, four starts, three shutouts in back-to-back -back World Series. Imagine if a pitcher in this day and age did that you know, what we would be saying about that pitcher. What, what he gave up three walks in those four games, like just an absolutely incredible run of fall classic dominance uh, that to me just uh, among all the great things, the Joe D's 56-game hitting streak, all the incredible stats that Yankees have, have accomplished, uh, that's right up there to me. That's one of the most just impressive runs that anybody's ever had in pinstripes. I agree. It, 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 it is. And because of the era that he played in, you know, with Mickey Mantle and with, you know, on the heels of Joe DiMaggio's career and prior to that, Ruth and Gehrig, it's almost overshadowed in a way. But if he if, if not for those guys and their accomplishments, if he was with a different organization, you know, it, it would it would almost be like this standalone accomplishment of, above everything else that, that had ever been done in that organization. But because of, of who he was with, of course, the Yankees, it's one of many. I wanted to share, you know, another thing about him that I, that I think is, you know, why someone like Whitey Ford or Mickey Mantle or Billy Martin, Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, they're mythical figures in a way. And it was because not only did, were their accomplishments so just miraculous, like, like what you just talked about, Nate, um, but their personalities were so dynamic and so special and so unique, you know, they, they were anything but robotic. Um, you know, the, the story that I did that day 10 years ago was in 1951, Whitey had pitched a game in my hometown of South Orange, New Jersey, as a, as a member of the Army's team. And uh, the opportunity 60 years later was to to bring him back to the small field in South Orange called Cameron Field and kind of have him remember and recollect what, it, what that day was like pitching for the Army there. And, you know, my whole, you know, life as a Yankees fan and, and hearing about guys like Whitey Ford again and Mickey Mantle was how they partied and what kind of personalities they were and how, how much they were these fun-loving, you know, amazing guys to be around. 
And I remember, you know, that day I, I picked Whitey up in a, in a car service at his house in um, Long Island and we had to drive to New Jersey and, you know, his wife was there when I picked him up and, you know, was kind of at that stage of his life, you know, somewhat protective of him and, you know, said to me, listen, it, you know, it was early in the morning when I picked him up and she's like, just, you know, when, he, when is he going to be back? And I, you know, I don't know, you tell me, well, have him back by 12, <laughs> 12 noon. And I, it was almost like going on a date, you know, like <laughs> this is what time, you know, I want him back. I said, okay, that's fine. And, you know, we went, we did our thing. We got to, you know, to South Orange, we, you know, I interviewed him there. We had our photographer take a bunch of pictures there and, by God, we were on time. I mean, we, we had plenty of time to get back. And, and Whitey said, you know, we're not going back right now. You know, we're going to find whatever, you know, the first bar that opens in South Orange, <laughs> and that's where we're going to go hang out. And, you know, and I was like, a little bit naive at that point. Like, well, no, I mean, I, I told her 12 o'clock, you know, <laughs> and I'll never forget, because there were a lot of great quotes in that story. And I don't know if I use this one or not. But he looked me dead in the eye and he said, she never killed Mickey Mantle for getting me back late. She's not going to kill you. And uh, <laughs> I will say, fortunately or unfortunately, we didn't get back by 12 noon. You know, he had a couple of drinks and uh, we had lunch. And, and then when we got back to his town out there in Lake Success, he told the, the driver that I had to use the restroom, even though I didn't know what he was talking about. So we could go to his local bar and have a have another snack and a couple drinks and we did that and we didn't get back by 12 and he was right. She didn't kill me. She didn't really yell at me. She kind of expected us to get back late, I guess. And You're just like Mickey Mantle. Huh? <laughs> In one tiny, tiny, tiny way I was. I have to say one of the things whenever this happens and, and I, I hesitate if, to make it seem like I'm changing the subject here because I'm not, it always makes me think about the guys we're watching now. And what I mean by that is, to, to use Aaron Judge in 2017 for an example, every single time he broke one of those records or approached one of those records, you know, the names that you're reading about that he's getting near are like Mickey Mantle and Lou Gehrig and all these things. And you realize, you know, Monument Park goes on in a sense. And players that we grew up watching, yeah, we didn't grow up watching Whitey Ford, but we certainly grew up watching Bernie Williams and Derek Jeter and and, and those guys. And they're in Monument Park now. Their numbers are retired. And mm-hmm. it, it just really, it, may, it, it I always try to make sure that I don't put create too much of a division between baseball history and baseball present. That I want to know that the moments that are happening on the field right now mean just as much as they would have if it were a black and white photo from the fifties or something like that. And I hope that obviously the world is different right now and there's more things on television. So the ratings are different and all the things that really shouldn't matter to fans, but sometimes they try to use as metrics to say whether things do or don't matter. But when you lose someone like Whitey, I I hope that some people approach it maybe in the way that I try to, which is to make sure that you're looking at what you can see as opposed to what you can't see. And I think I've I think I've mentioned this story in a different context on this before, and I apologize if I'm repeating myself. But the other thing it reminds me of is I don't know. I, I'm going to say maybe it was 2004 or so. I'm walking down the street in Manhattan with a friend in Midtown, and all of a sudden, walking toward us is Sandy Koufax, and you, you, everyone knows what Sandy Koufax looks like. In addition to just like you know, that f- boy, he's just like incredibly good looking too. I mean, just like very regal mm-hmm. and like that silver hair and everything. And I like slap my buddy's arm and we like dive into like a vestibule, which turned, or it was a J crew. <laughs> um, and we just keep like, we just keep our heads moving, following him down the street kind of. And I, I call my dad, I do all this stuff. My dad's favorite player, Sandy Koufax. He was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan growing up. And I get back to my apartment and then my roommate's there. And he's like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, you're not going to believe this. Like, we were just walking down the street and we saw Sandy Koufax. And he's and he looks at me, he's like, I don't get it. Don't you see baseball players every day? And I'm just like trying to explain to him how ridiculous that statement is. <laughs> um, that I didn't just see a baseball player. I saw Sandy Koufax. Weren't you listening to me? I saw a God. And there was, there, to, to, to bring this back home, as much as I said that I try to keep past and present, sometimes on the same plane, I will say there was always something about Whitey at Old Timer's Day. Even as he got older and even as he was he was less present, even if he was there and he was less a part of the whole thing, he just walked out, out and you knew that you were staring at a god. It, it, in a sense, he was different from everyone else around him. He There was something special about him. He had 
you knew the things that were in his brain. You knew the things he saw. You knew the things he did. You knew the conversations he'd had, the guys he was close with. And he was such a living piece of everything that we celebrate with the Yankees. And it's just hard. I mean, it's hard to think about the next time one of those is going to happen. And obviously, look, you hope there is an old-timers day next year. But, you know, it's just every every single time you lose one of these guys, you know, you can't get them back. And you can't get those stories back. And, you know, hopefully uh, the guys that we do watch now can build some of those stories. Well said. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. He was a, uh, for, for me as well, that was always one of the highlights of Old Timers Day was seeing Whitey and just the, I think you referenced it on the Bucky podcast. He, held, he always had that kind of mischievous smile that reminded you of, uh, you know, the pictures that you saw of him and Mickey back in the day. And, you know, even uh, in, in recent years, I think the last time we had Old Timers Day, he was there and he you know, looked over at Ari, our team photographer, and gave her a wink, you know, like, he just always had that, that kind of childlike uh, enthusiasm, that spark inside of him, uh, even into his 90s. And uh, he will absolutely be missed. There's no doubt about that. Well, I'm glad we got to take some time here on, look, it's a disappointing episode of the podcast. Obviously, we hoped to be talking, we hope to be in the position that the Rays are in right now, as we record this, a game away from the World Series with more steps left to climb uh, to get to do what they want to do, whatever team wanted to do. But look, only one team gets to be standing at the end of it. And it's not the Yankees this year, but Nate, Al, it's been a year, man. <laughs> man it's uh, it's been something and l- let's never do it again. But uh, right. I-, I do uh, at the same time now, 2021 starts now in some, di- in some ways and good you know, 2020, it started with Garrett Cole. It ended just, really badly um, for the entire planet. But uh, let, let, let's let's hit the reset button now and get it going. Guys, I've had fun talking with you and can't wait to do it again in two weeks. Same here. Sounds good, John. Thank you. And to everyone else, before you go, thank you for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. I want to tell you a little bit more about the Yankees Magazine Podcast Network. If you liked hearing from us today, you should also check out Deep to Left with Bucky Dent, our podcast that Bucky hosts. Each episode features conversations with former teammates and other greats from the game's history, or just some great conversations about Yankees baseball. If you're not subscribed, what are you waiting for? We're available wherever you listen to your podcasts or at yankees.com slash podcast. Leave us a review, leave us a rating. You can even send us your thoughts over email, podcast at yankees.com. And for Yankees Magazine subscribers, you should have by now, we hope, received a free gift from us. If not, you'll be getting it soon. It's a copy of the 2020 official New York Yankees yearbook. I want to be clear, this does not count against your subscription. It's just a gift from us to say thank you for sticking with us this incredibly difficult year. Any questions? You can always call 800-GO-YANKS or head over to yankees.com slash publications for more information. While you're there, you can start a new subscription, renew your subscription, buy a back issue, maybe even gift somebody who's a huge fan. Plus, if you'd like to see our content online, get a taste of it at yankees.com slash magazine. There you'll find our latest features to read from the magazine, and we're also on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine. Give us a follow and be up to date with every podcast and magazine we produce. That's it. See you next time. And everyone, go Yanks. I'll speak to you. Bye now. Hi, this is Luke Voigt. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today.